Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast. Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I am good, man. Uh, this is, uh, so there it is. The record, uh, like, it, it exists now, you know? It's out. Yeah. Uh, which, actually, in a, in a very real way, kind of is, like, uh, very depressing. Um, because it's, like, a real, like, postpartum sort of situation, right? Like, um, uh-huh. for the last, like, two years, I've had something to work towards. And then starting, you know, Friday, well, Friday was a big day in terms of like promo and all that kind of stuff. But then Saturday I was like, oh, it's all over because <laughs> there is no touring, um, you know, and there's there's very little you can do um, about the best way to like scratch that itch, I, I guess, was uh, like last night I played like a really impromptu thing on Instagram, but that's like not really, I mean, it's really, really, really not the same. And also uh-huh. as I was just discussing with you um, before we started recording, really kind of pissed some people off who wanted to be there, who didn't hear about it. Cause it was really impromptu or who uh, were my wife. They were like, what the fuck are you still doing awake at two 30 in the morning? <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, so yeah. Well, I, I I understand where you're coming from, but I think that you're missing the forest for the trees. The forest being Road to the Skeleton Coast, the podcast, which is, I mean, everything that preceded this is just prologue. We've got, we've got years to go, decades even. So what could be less depressing than hanging out with me? Once a week now, with no real intentionality anymore. That's right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, but yeah, once you, once you kind of take the, um, once you take the blue ribbon off the prize pig, you can just, you can just fuck it without feeling weird. You know, um, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's the expression. Spoken that's like grand- a true Missourian. Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what my grandma used to say. I used to say, once you take the blue ribbon off the prize pig, you can fuck it without feeling weird. Um, Well, it seems like you're adjusting well to the record now being out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's cool. Um, And, you know, people have been really nice, and uh, there's been some really nice things said about it. And um, also, one of the, I guess we talked about this the other day. It seems like people like like all the songs, which is a good thing to me. Uh, you know, like no, uh, I hate so. to mm-hmm. I hate to put out a record where it was just like you know one one good song and then everything else is just kind of filler around it. You know, I mean that's not really the way we're supposed to. <laughs> that's not supposed to be our <laughs> modus operandi over here at Lawrence Arms uh, World HQ, but. 
um, you know, you never know when you fuck up and that happens. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, we'll get into uh, talking about the record and about all the pigs that you've been fucking this week. But we should mm-hmm. tell everybody about our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich, where we were joined last week by a young upstart from New Jersey, a burgeoning songwriter by the name of uh, Ryan. Um, I, I forget his name. Sorry. Uh, it's, was um, it, it's it was Bri- Brian Brian Br- Fallon. Brian. Um, Fallon. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was um, notably he was in Lane Meyer and mm-hmm. a band called This Charming Man, I believe. But more more recently, he's made a bit of a splash with his band, The Gaslight Anthem. And uh, I've known Brian for uh, over twenty years. Um, and well, yeah, about twenty years, I guess is probably more accurate. And um, he's just a, a real dear old friend. And it was a uh, it, it was fun rapping with him. I mean, he's he's somebody I I greatly admire, and um, he's really a lot more like chill and fun to talk to than I think people probably think he is. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, totally. You know, there's a lot of like uh, very like heart wrenching sentiments and a lot of the things that he. Um, does creatively, uh-huh. but at the end of the day, he's just a goofy son of a bitch like the rest of us, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun conversation to have for lots of reasons. I felt uh, felt very happy to just be there in observation. And I didn't want to butt in too much, and obviously, I don't want to give away anything that we talked about over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. But I mean, I I figured we could talk about this because. We talked about a Goo Goo Dolls cover song that occurred at a at a concert. We won't say which one because you know yeah, you yeah, gotta pay yeah. for that, baby. But I I really was kind of just sitting on my hands over there because I felt like you all were just completely ignoring the influence of the incredible Lance Diamond because that to me seemed <laughs> to be the reason why they would be doing that cover song is they their guy uh, Lance Diamond who sings on the Prince cover on Hold Me Up. Right, like, come right. On. Except for, except for, um, no, in in um, in that instance that we discussed on the Patreon, um, it was not Lance Diamond. Um, it was just them. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like the sentiment. Do you know there? I watched a documentary about the incredible Lance Diamond, and the, really the only reason that I am bringing this up is to shoehorn the title of the 2017 documentary. What do you think it is? About Lance Diamond, soul singer from Buffalo, New York. A diamond in the rough. Diamond in the buff. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Gotta That's love it. That's pretty good. Um, I in a shocking twist, I actually have something to promote this week. Uh, episode number one of a new podcast series that I've been working on called Life's Work, a podcast about Laura Stevenson's Sit Resist. It premiered on Wednesday. Don Giovanni Records is reissuing Laura Stevenson's second album, Sit Resist, on September 4th. And this podcast, uh, is a seven part series that covers the writing of and making of that record and features interviews with Laura and Jeff Rosenstock and Lucy Dacus and uh, 
a member of the uh, club sandwich over a better sandwich, Mike Campbell of Laura's band and formerly of Ladderman. Uh, but Life's Work is out now. Episode one is uh, is up and you can listen to it wherever you're listening to this podcast. And it features a special appearance from Chris Gethard, which is a very fun conversation to have. Another Jersey boy. Yeah. Well, sounds very fascinating. I see. I see you've been busy without me. Uh, Tim, that's great. I've been busy. Hear. I've been busy with you in spirit always, Brennan. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Laura doesn't follow me on Twitter either, but uh, if anybody hasn't heard Laura Stevenson's records before, they should check them out. So, speaking of all time great songwriters, Brandon, you mm. knew Skeleton Coast was great. Now it's out. Well, What's it been like hearing from people? It's never what you think, man. Uh, I don't think like I felt like we did a good job in, in like by our own terms, you know, um, in terms of like like we, and in the studio, we could tell that we had written songs that were becoming more and more interesting than they were even intended to be. You know, that's like sort of a big. I think that's a very like it's less spoken of. Um, I think in terms of like when people talk about putting records together, uh-huh. then it, it deserves to be, which is like, there are some songs that you get into the studio and like, they start to take on a life of their own because the, what's going on becomes a sort of inspiration, perpetual motion machine, mm-hmm. you know, like when you start to lay something down and it's like, Oh damn, that's, that's a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. And it makes me think we should do this. And it makes me think we should do this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of songs. You go into the studio and they end up about how you thought they would be. And then you like kind of like put the makeup on the pig or whatever to uh, I'm, I'm using nothing but pig references. Um, <laughs> that's that's the only metaphors I'm using on this uh, particular episode. Um, you know, you sort of put the makeup on the pig and uh, and, and then, you know, you know, it gets a little better. But when they really transform Without like, and I don't mean in terms of like song structure or anything like that, but there's sort of like a a je ne sais quoi, you know, like kind of thing that happens Mm -hmm. where it's like, this song is not the song I thought it was just fundamentally. It's like, it's much darker or it's much more triumphant. Like this was not, you know, for whatever reason, when we rehearsed this, it, it sounded like this, but it's become its own entity that like, like where it really comes to life on its own. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew because a lot of the songs on this record have that quality um, that we were just like became way more than what, you know, like I thought that like, I was like, saw these songs I really like this couple, I think are kind of turds. And by the time we were done in the studio, I was like, we were only going to make a 12 song record, but there's 14. And cause we were like, I don't want to cut off any of these songs. Yeah. You know, you know, so like, um, so it, I knew on that level that it was a cool record to hear people respond to it. It's very interesting. It's like, it's really, it's always surprising to me what people like, what songs people gravitate towards Mm -hmm. as being their favorites and stuff like that. And like, you know, obviously that sort of stuff is still like the record's only been out a week or well, I mean, at this point, it's been like three days, I guess. But by the time, you know, you hear mm-hmm. this, it'll be a week. But 
like, you know, so everybody's like songs are still changing and their tastes are still kind of evolving in terms of the, what, what they, what they like, what they've noticed on, in the record. But yeah, it's always, it's always weird, man. I, it, like it, once, once the record comes out, it's like, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not our thing anymore at all. It, you know, belongs to whoever listens to it. And then right. like, we just have to listen to them mm-hmm. you know, to figure out what's going on. So, so when you, um, describe it in those terms, um, that sounds like this is something that might, um, be indicative of the different types of layers that we're hearing and the, um, the tones and, you know, I guess auxiliary instrumentation or just, um, you know, guitar tones that are a little left of where we're usually hearing uh for on Lawrence Arms records is that what kind of no, play into no, okay. it no that's like the makeup on the pig shit that's uh-huh. that's the stuff where you take a song and it's like you think it's going to be and then you just like sprinkle some like some candy on it or whatever mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about is like uh um what's a good example like you know, I mean, we'll get into the songs, I guess, but like, like in like pigeons and spies, where all of a sudden it's like sounds like this, like fucking, like literally, like a like a stakeout, like that, like the 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 way the guitar part is like so menacing uh-huh. and like it's like it's like like driving at night kind of music, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and like and that, I mean, those are the chords that we had played. That's what the demo sounded like. But it didn't have that like deeply ominous, menacing like, and also sort of like sophisticated sounding vibe that it has yeah. at all. It was just it was just a two chord progression, mm-hmm. you know. And then all of a sudden we're in there, and then it's like, and it was like, oh, oh, this is like way darker. This is like. This is a mood here, you know. Yeah. And then it was like, let's add, let's add this little riff on top of that to really play into that mood. And then it like highlights that sort of um, that sort of menacing feeling. And then you know, like when I sing it, I play into that, you know, mm-hmm. and it becomes a totally different thing. But you know, and it's not, it's not just like the, no, it's not the tones. It's not like the weird instrumentation. It's nothing like that. It's when it you just didn't see it quite right before or something like right you know so then that would probably dictate like your delivery at the beginning because it is super ominous and then that would also then in turn like uh dictate kind of where the song goes and that climax that comes totally 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 um yeah and i mean like that's just one example there's a, a lot of you know um in uh like Last last words on the demo, I was like, "It's not like I can't see how this song is going to come together, really." You know, and, th- and this one, um, uh, Neil Neil was like, "I'm like, what is this going to sound like?" You know, I can't like I, I'm having a hard time visualizing what it's going to sound like. And obviously, it's one of the best songs on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, I was just like. You know, I mean, we're in the demo phase, and it's it's a very different iteration of the song or whatever. And um, and then um, Neil's like, "Dude, it's like gonna be like the hundred resolutions bounce 
kind of thing with that beginning. There's you know, and I'm like, oh, I totally see where this song is going. Yeah. You know, and, and then like, so that one, like Neil actually, he saw it the way it was going to end up a little bit, but I think it still did have so much more bounce and like, um, and it was just like, it had so much more, that one had so much more whimsy than I thought it was going to have. Uh-huh. I think that any of us thought we were going to have it. And that's why we all of a sudden are using like the Ebos and stuff yeah. in there. That was informed by the fact that it was just, and even like Chris's vocal delivery is so different than it was on the demos and stuff like that, because it's just like, that was the, the way that song came to life, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, um, it, I don't know. That is, that is the ultimate fucking X factor. But to me, that is the indicator that you've made a good record for the people in the room that you're making the record with. Right. Like once, once a song takes on its own life and it becomes inspirational within the parameters that already exist around it, like in terms of like, it's already a song, it's already been written. The chord progression is done. The lyrics are written that that's its own thing. But then once they, there becomes like, once you start to see it come to life and it's more or different, than you thought it was and that becomes its own like um path of inspiration that and that you know and then you know again it's like once once other people hear it people can be like this is complete dog shit and then you're like okay that's a bad song but like for, for the people <laughs> for the people in the room like when you're making it that's the that's the that's the point to me where i'm like okay this is at least good from a creator point of view mm-hmm. And and that happened really on almost every single one of these songs. Wow. Um, well, yeah. We um, I asked our uh, hoagies over at Better Sandwich, patreoncom slash sandwich <laughs> if they had questions about the new record, and I've been thinking of some uh, on my own, and one that came in in a lot of different forms, um, and different from i guess what i'm ex- what i was expecting um just in having this conversation bring it to mind is the the influence of the location on of the recording studio on the record but what wh- why i think of that and what you're saying here is like what influence um you think of that actual studio space as opposed to atlas where you've done everything else before was there a do you think like a different vibe um different type of balance that was coming off of those recordings and maybe just like being in that room might have helped like highlight some of those aspects as you're listening back um that makes sense that's a gr- no it's a great question and I'm i'm really just trying to uh for one thing, just on a very simple level, it's really fucking different to be in the middle of a desert, um, you know, in a in a place where the only people you know for miles and miles and miles are either sitting in here doing this or across the street because they've been sitting in here doing this for so long that they need to get a fucking 
Right. And by across the street, I mean across the gulch, <laughs> across the dirt gulch, you know, the dirt path that leads over the gulch. There's no, there was no roads or anything in there at all. But, um, you know, so there is a level of focus. And I mean, there was a TV there with like a, Xbox 360 or some shit. Um, we never turned that on at all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like not even just to like watch the Simpsons or anything like that. It was like when we got back from the studio and I know this is not exactly what you're asking, um, but like we got back from the studio and I would sit there and I would play solitaire and then Neil would go, let me get those cards. I'm going to play a game. And then Neil would play solitaire. <laughs> and then like at the end of the night, I'd pour like one glass of whiskey and I would sit there and drink it. And Neil would take like four beers and go back over to the studio where he'd like sit in there and like blast his like, you know, he likes like bands like bread and shit like that, like like weird, like you know, like oh, hey, this is an African jazz band, you know. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, that sounds neat. And then he he would like blast that through the speakers in the studio, um, and just like you know, drink beer and smoke weed, and I think just like have a little Neil party. He kept being like, you coming to the Neil party tonight? <laughs> and I and, and I mean like, I just like uh, when we're when we record, um. Look, I mean, I fucking I, – I, I like drinking, believe it or not. Um, but when we record, I really like – try to stick to like having like one glass of whiskey at the very end of the night, uh-huh. just right before bed. If if that, you know, um, just because like I, I don't like the idea of being hungover and trying to make creative decisions for one thing. And for another thing, uh, being in a room where sometimes things have to be very, very loud uh, does not go – does not mix well with uh, the sort of like swollen brained feeling of a hangover. Um, so, uh, so I guess it, the the amount of focus that was just inherent in being in the middle of nowhere, having nowhere to go, nothing to do. Really, like, really contributes a lot to the overall mentality. It also contributes a lot to, um, sort of the empathetic nature of how much everybody's working. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like because it's not like I just was like, "Yo, I'm gonna run down to Portillo's for a while, get some hot dogs, and then maybe like take a ride on the bike path, and I'll be back." And you know. I'm going to stop by and see Marcus Uh or whatever. Like instead it was like, I'm going to go maybe back to the little house and play solitaire uh, (laughs) while you finish doing this thing. But it becomes very, very obvious that it's like, Chris has been sitting there for six hours nonstop. Mm -hmm. Matt has been sitting there for 13 hours nonstop, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, and it, 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 like that really has an influence on how hard you want to work and how much you want to make sure to like nobody nobody wants to be the fucking the fucking 
guy in the fucking war movie with the phone on his helmet and the glasses that gets killed in the first scene. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> well, not the first scene, the first scene where everything goes tits up, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, you know, like the, and obviously like the real solidification of the ideas of like putting all the sounds in there and stuff like that, the howling and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, I guess it's all howls, really. Um, even the whales are howling, kind of. Um, the that stuff was definitely sort of codified into the DNA of what our idea for this record would be by being out there and hearing like those very sounds, you yeah. know, outside our doors. Um, and in, in the night, because I mean that desert. Uh, comes to life at night mm-hmm. man. uh it, it is it, you know and it's and, but the songs were written you know what i mean right. and uh and and like and like uh you know the, the main the main difference is there's just a lot more focus out there and a lot more toys to play with like in terms of instruments amps um pedals stuff like that totally totally it's like you know you you can't write uh hemingway wrote uh, a pretty good book about fishing that's because he spent a lot of time in boats he couldn't have just been like sitting in Spain and just being like yeah this is what it was like when I did that thing 25 years ago in the Florida Keys yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah I think like the the fact that it it just so happens that you're making this like pretty naturalistic record and then you're in a place like that that just really plays into the vibe was it just happened to kind of work out that way right like there's no more atlas studio and that's why you ended up going down to el paso correct yeah yeah there is no more it, it, it it's that simple man it's like uh it it didn't have anything to do with like oh this record we should we should seek out a place that's reflective. I mean, first of all, that is the most fucking obnoxious art shit that there is to be like, no, yeah, well, you know, this record was really written about, uh, you know, it was really written about the, uh, the plight of French prostitutes. So we decided to rent a little space in Pigal, live among the French prostitutes. And- <sighs> That is like, uh, uh, no, that is not our bag, man. We (laughs) talked about uh, a record yesterday on Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich with Brian Fallon. uh, That uh, was a sort of uh, a crazy successful record that uh, was recorded and written in a cabin and uh <laughs> and the fucking number of records that i've seen come out in the past 15 years that involve someone going out to a cabin and writing a record in solitude is just like so fucking funny to me like you can't what? you you are really just like buying into the idea that if you just like go and do that thing that some sort of like creative energy and magic is going to like make your crappy record better. You got to have good songs first. Yeah, no, 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 totally. And and it is like, 
Yeah, there's a real cart before the horse thing. I don't totally hate the idea of like being like, yo, I need some solitude. I just want to like throw myself into this. And, you know, the, the way to do this is to isolate myself, you know, in some cabin somewhere and mm-hmm. just like have nothing else, no distractions, nothing else to I understand that. I mean, that's I do. That's fine. I do too. That's not, I think I see it as a PR campaign, and I'm just like, get the fuck yeah, well, out of here. That, that's that's the thing, and it's like that's that's sort of the thing that like the Sonic Ranch was such a cool place to record that it is impossible for it to not be part of the narrative of this record, mm-hmm. particularly because the record just happens to be kind of about it but that's coincidence that that has nothing to do with why we went there we didn't write anything once we got there it was all done Mm -hmm. um and it's too good of a like piece of the narrative to leave out right but i don't like it as a pr thing Mm -hmm. like and it's like it's like it's just a coincidence you know like the you know the band chromio yeah Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Right. Chromio is awesome. Um. Um. And I saw an interview with them when I broke my knee. Uh, it was kind of in, right before we did the Ocalcata record. I was like, um, you know, like uh, immobile for How'd months, and so I would watch. Um, it was a kind of a freak accident. Um. Uh, I just fell wrong, huh. and it was a granite floor. Ooh. I snapped my kneecap in oh. half, like a like a cookie. Uh, um, and uh, and so I was like in a cast that went from like above my nuts to below my ankle um, for about seven months, um, and it really, really sucked. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but I was watching like videos on demand on like Comcast. Uh-huh. And I got really into Chromio because they had some videos on demand. And um, there was a video interviewing them. And this is like right when they started. It was their first record. And the, the guy's like, what's the band name? Chromio. It's like Chrome and Romeo. That's it. There's no point in thinking about it any harder than that. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> and I was like... First of all, that's the way I want to make all my artistic decisions from now uh-huh. on. And that's how I'm going to explain them. You know, and it's like, but when it comes to Sonic Ranch here, it's like, nope, that happened to be the studio we went to. We happened to record a record that had things to do with what was around that studio. It was a coincidence. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think that probably that landscape had to have bled into us leaning maybe into a few things. Sure. Um, you know, but I couldn't even point to something and say that, that like what specifically. What yeah. I feel like there's like probably a, a little bit more of like an authentication factor, but I think that more than anything, it was probably just an exciting experience to just be, suddenly in the perfect spot without having planned it that way you kind of have to think that there's something to that there's some bit of magic in there uh, yeah, yeah, yeah oh no no it, it was a magical experience for sure um i've said many many times um and i maybe on this podcast maybe i've said that say this every episode i don't know uh but 
if I'm on my deathbed and I'm listing off the most fascinating things that I've ever done in my life mm-hmm. and Sonic Ranch is not on that little list, I still have a lot of very interesting things to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because as of right now, there ain't nothing like that. It, I mean, it, it was just such a wonderfully weird place. And it, it it's just so singular. There, there is no experience. I don't. I, I you you've either been to Sonic Ranch or you don't have a comparable experience. Mm-hmm. That you know that's the best the best way I can yeah. put it. So wh- one thing that's like kind of been interesting uh, for me, like thinking about this stuff, is the, finding myself in this position where I I'm talking to you now. I you know, five days removed from the actual release of the record, you have obviously been so busy with getting everybody excited about it, doing interviews, doing shit like that. Like, you know, where are you like, where are you at with just all of that? Because it feels like that part of it is pretty new in comparison to, I mean, Metropole was certainly in this vein, but like, oh, Calcutta, the amount of shit that you were doing to get everybody like hyped on the release date of oh, Calcutta uh, had to have been so minuscule in compared to what you're doing now. You know, it's interesting because there's there's two sort of sides to that. One is like, uh, yeah, there's a much bigger machine surrounding us now, not only in terms of like, you know, Epitaph being uh, um, the the biggest independent label on earth, right? Uh, That's what, at least in the Western world. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess there's probably some like, you know, indie K-pop label that might be huger or something like that, Mm -hmm. but I I don't know. Um, Um. so that I mean, you know, there there there's like a huge apparatus in that regard, um, but there's also no shows now due to COVID. So there's nothing like that yeah. to promote, um, which takes out a lot of. Frankly, it like sort of dismantles a lot of that apparatus that even works around us. You know, mm-hmm. like there's like people like uh, you know like booking agents and mm-hmm. you know um, live show publicists and stuff like that that. Um, you know, cannot like push for like the uh, Des Moines Daily Sun or whatever to run an article about the new Lawrence Arms record because we are not going through Des Moines, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, and so therefore it it means nothing. And music journalism in general is just not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So it's like when we did O Calcutta, like I'd get a call, you know, at like eight o'clock and it would be, this Australian guy who'd be like, all right, um, I got 10 journos on the line here. That's the way they say journalists over there. Uh, <laughs> Three and, of them uh, at uni. Yeah. And, uh, and fucking, and then it would just be like, I would, you know, I'd push like one. I'd talk to this person for 10 minutes, hit two, talk to this person for 10 minutes. Wow. And, Almost without fail, exact same interview, exact same yeah. questions, and it would just like mm-hmm. go on for like you know two hours or whatever. Um, but that was the way that you know you. That's the way you do fucking 
press halfway around the world, right? Mm-hmm. But th- those were always for like upcoming tours and stuff. So it's just not like that anymore. Like, first of all, with, with no touring, it sort of naturally minimizes the press. Second of all, the way social media works, press there's a superfluous nature to press mm-hmm. because like social media does all that. And then the only place that anybody would even see the press is on the very social media. It's more like I'll write about the Lawrence arms because I want people, I want the Lawrence arms to signal boost me. So people read my writing mm-hmm. more than <laughs> mm-hmm. more than the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I just I'm just using us as an example, by the way. I like I you know, I'm not so grandiose to think that we're like a huge force to be reckoned with or anything. But so I've been doing stuff, but it is generally pretty chill. That's why I did that thing last night where I just like jumped on Instagram, like but didn't tell anyone and just played for a while. Um mm-hmm. Thereby angering everyone. Um, <laughs> but thanks for everybody that watched. It was fun. So, I mean, like, for real, though, you're the... It's just... It's so different. Like, the the gratification that you would have gotten from a release show isn't there. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. tour on this record isn't there. Like... There's this feeling that I think a lot of us can relate to on on whatever terms when we finish a project and we are excited and anticipating the release of that thing. And it's, you know, I think it's easy to feel like, shit, what's everybody here is uh, this Laura Stevenson podcast on Wednesday my problems are going to be over because I just made the dopest thing. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the postpartum aspect of it is really a real thing. It's like once, once you, uh, I guess God to continue this metaphor, which is like kind of boring, but like once you fucking give birth to something, it's not your thing anymore. Uh-huh. You know, it's another thing and it's not about you and it's not about like you working towards a goal. The goal is to deliver this healthy thing into the world. Right. Um, And once that's over, it becomes about the the thing. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, like with a baby, I guess fucking that just sucks because I got a fucking baby in your house. Screaming and crying all the time and shit, but like um, with the record, it's like you know, like I mean, this record's been remarkably well received. I like the what what I've seen has been very, very overwhelmingly positive. On like a, I I thought I thought the record would do like would scratch people's itch the right way. It's the response has been much nicer than I even expected. But I see just like one thing that says like like I personally suck, and it's like well, I personally suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. a thousand positive reviews are less powerful than one 
just like shitty comma, you know, right. like it's very, it's very weird how that works, but yeah, it's the, it's the one thing that you, uh, remember for sure. Um, shout out to all my fans leaving, uh, Apple podcast reviews, five stars. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Um, glad you're back this week. One thing I've been thinking about though, this like a context of like your band is like, we've talked about like the delayed gratification of like, Oh, Calcutta comes out and everyone's like, Oh, Oh, this band is like fucking cool. And everybody else is like, including you are like, yeah, we've been fucking great since uh, the third record. (laughs) And now it's like this feeling of, wow, six years and they're still great. Like, does it feel like a continuation of, yeah, we've always just had people like, like finally just giving credit where credit is due to us or are is it a different type of satisfaction well i think that man oh this is really like getting between like my 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 real heart and my fake heart hell yes Um, (laughs) uh, i one hand um it's like yeah man we I think that the way that we put together songs, the way we put together our band, the way we construct this like sort of plurality of everything that's um uh that makes up the sort of call of cards of the Lawrence Arms, whether it's the two different kinds of vocals, the two like two variant styles of um sort of song mood or even like the shifts within songs or the um the, the lyrical content and how it can shift from you know i mean even like you, you know there's a song like uh fucking last last words where it's just like this esoteric like very hard to parse sort of like poetic situation going on and then he just starts doing Holden Caulfield curse uh-huh. you know uh, yeah. like you know and it's like so just like lest everyone or lest anyone rather think that it's just me that's like hey here's Raskolnikov and here's a dick joke mm-hmm. it's like that's that's the that's the that's the duality that like exists in both of us right you know and and like so like on one hand it's like we worked towards Something very uh, so weird that I'm talking about all this duality and what I want to say is singular, but like the the singular identity of this band of sort of contradictions, but that match, mm-hmm. right? Um, and um, and like we've honed that carefully because at first it was too messy of a thing to be able to contain as young mm-hmm. dudes or whatever, and uh. So that there's yeah, there's one level of me that's like, well, fuck yeah, we're better than these other bands, man. Like we like meticulously craft this shit, uh-huh. you know. Like we're not like just shitting out whatever fucking bullshit is there every two years because we want to fucking play the warp tour again or whatever, you know. It's like nah, man. We're like this is. I hate to use such a pretentious thing, but it's like this is an art project. Uh-huh. You know, and there is something very, there are, there is 
a specificity to the ongoing art project that it has to be good. And we've said this over and over again. Like it has to be good or there won't be more. Right. Like you know, like like so we know but that being said, that's kind of like the fake heart side of uh-huh. it. The real heart side of it is like I'm really grateful that people first of all, I'm really grateful that people just enjoy it. You know, it would be extraordinarily disingenuous of me to be like, we just do this for ourselves and we don't give a fuck at all. Uh-huh. It's like it, People's response to it is very, is very important, and like the, the the feeling of like making something that you know connects with people, the way that stuff you know connected with me when I was a kid. It, that that shit's like I can't overstate how much that like is so much of why I, I feel cool doing this or whatever because like it, it feels like it's like working towards a righteous end. That's like generally just and by righteous I mean just like good in and of itself, mm-hmm. good right. Um, but when people are like, damn, these motherfuckers still got it? This is crazy. This is their best record, and it's 21 years in? It's like, it feels really good to hear. And, like, like I, yeah. I, don't, I don't care that I think that we're uh, a band that, like, sort of operates under a different kind of system. And that, like, yeah, I don't think most bands could do that. And I think that's because most bands don't operate the way we do mm-hmm. you know and and like but it's still really nice when somebody says something like that and it's like you know it's nice to be acknowledged as being able to um do something that uh, it's nice to be lucky enough uh that we still get to do this and, and that it's still at a level that people enjoy mm-hmm. um you know there's uh, I think there's plenty of bands actually that probably still put out like very high quality records 20 years into their career and um, maybe they're just unappreciated or unknown or whatever like mm-hmm. whatever yeah of course we're not gonna I mean we just wouldn't put out a record if it was bad but at the same time like it is yeah, it's fucking hard to do anything once you get older um much less like insurgent punk rock is not an old man's game you know so like let's bring this all the way back when did you feel like the songs that you and chris were starting to pass back and forth to each other were starting to come together as a um, okay, cool. We're we're one third of the way to a record, or oh, I feel like this is kind of the starting point for the next record. Mm. Well, the first song Chris sent me was Coyote Crown, and uh, the first song I sent him was PCA, uh-huh. um, and, and that was like within five minutes of each other. It was really weird, like. Um, like psych. Like I was like, I'm recording this song, and I'm like, I'm just gonna blow Chris's mind because I'm just gonna send him a new song. Like I'm starting the process of uh, writing the new Lawrence Arms record. I'm just gonna kick it off just by sending this demo. And while I'm recording it, it's like, ding, and Coyote Crown comes in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so he beat me to that. 
Uh, <laughs> Holy shit. What fucking, what cosmos? What cosmos? <laughs> let me, let me ask you something. When was the first time you met Chris? Uh, we were on the field at our grade school and, um, he was a athletic, um, kid. We were about, t- we were 10. Uh-huh. It was been 1985, 1986. Uh-huh. Um, he was playing quarterback and I was, um, really a lot more like the kid that would like sit over like on the picnic benches and like draw Garfield and shit like that. Uh-huh. But I was kind of getting made fun of a lot about that. So I decided to go try to play football. Mm-hmm. And um, so Chris was the quarterback on the team that I was like shuffled onto. And um, it was just during recess. And I was like, Hey, I, I just want you to know, like, I'm all the way over on the right. I'm always open. Nobody would ever <laughs> dream of covering me, right? And he looked up at me and goes, I'll try, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was the first conversation we ever had. Um, that was when I first met him. Um was kind of it i mean it's like he ran with this dude named jesse and they kind of were like they're you know they're both cool and funny and like uh-huh. uh and i was very much it, i was new at the school i was also just kind of marginalized in general and that's into weird shit and, i don't know um but then he came over one day to my neighbor's house, my neighbor was this kid Steve, who was like a real bully. Uh-huh. Um, to me, he he he's like the guy that like tried to get me to drink Formula Four Hundred Nine one time. He was he like took a we let him like you know like feed our cat or our dog or whatever while while we were out of town, and he like took my skateboard and drilled a bunch of holes in it. Mm. Like he was a he was a bully. Yeah. I mean like not like uh and. Chris was over at his house and Chris had a skateboard. And I was like, Oh, you got a skateboard. I'm like, I I have a skateboard. I'll bring it down. You know? And then I was like, you should try my skateboard. Cause he had like a skateboard that was kind of like from like, you know, like a target kind of skateboard, mm-hmm. you know, like a Nash yeah, or yeah. something like that. And and I was just like, Oh no, no, look like the, if do you think the reason like, you're not able to do like do tricks and stuff is you, but it's not probably here. Check out a actual skateboard, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll find the difference is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so we just started talking a little bit and, and Steve locked him out of his fucking house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and I was like, well, you, you could come up to my house, you know, like I, like I just lived in an apartment, right? Mm-hmm across the alley and um then we just ended up hanging out and i was like kind of like showing him the stuff that like my sort of weird collection of shit that i had like developed as a as a sort of more isolated uh kid Uh you know like i had like a skateboards and 
minor threat tapes and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and I was like, check this out. This is cool. You know? And, um, and, but like, we also like watched MTV and listened to poison. It wasn't like, I was like some sort of like gateway drug full of like the coolest fucking stuff. Like we were into a lot of the same stuff, which included like poison. Right. You know, you know what I, you 1986, know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I, um, so, yeah, the last thing I want to sound like is that, like I was like, "Here's a real skateboard, and here's some real punk rock music," you know, right? Like, like that. It was it wasn't like that at all. It, it was like, it was like, oh, "I've got a skateboard too. I'm gonna bring my skateboard down, and we can skate together." Oh, you should try this one because it's like you buy like the different parts to make it as good as it can possibly be, you know, as opposed to like getting the whole skateboard off the rack, you know. Uh-huh. And then upstairs, oh, you like poison. Yeah, here's a band that sounds a lot like Poison to me. Uh, you know, check like she got it's minor, minor threat. threat. <laughs> yeah, and, and like you know, like like so. So, and I think we just watch MTV and stuff like that. But ended up, anyway, he ended up sleeping over for like four days in a row. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> like right because he, he called his mom was like, "Oh, Steve locked me out. Um, there's this this guy Brandon who's you know he's the the new kid." Um, in our class, um, but he he let me in, and you know I think then our parents talked, and our moms are both like uh, sort of like like minded, uh-huh. you know, sort of like lefty intellectual types or whatever. And I think mm-hmm. Chris's mom was like, okay, and then like from then on, it was just like, yeah, we're, we're now connected forever. <laughs> For real, there's something like there's something so funny about your cosmos, you know, the fact that you you both wrote songs about the same scene in Vertigo, the fact that you're writing something to send to Chris with the intention of the new Lawrence Arts record, and you get that message. That's fucking wild. Yeah, man, uh, it is. Uh, it's crazy, but it's like there, there, there is like a, you know, I mean, a, a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that we've just known each other for so long, uh-huh. and that we have just like worked, you know, off each other's mental energy for so long, for better for worse. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, like I'm sure it's been hard on both of us to deal with each other. Mm-hmm. many many times you know sure. but like it doesn't change the fact that like that's a mental energy that i'm sort of cosmically tied to you know and like uh i don't know how much i believe in that kind of shit in general mm-hmm. but but like if you spend enough time like thinking about somebody, you know, it's like I grew up just like me and my mom, and it's like I would have to like anticipate her feelings by like the look on her face when she came in the door because that would determine if she was in a good mood or a bad mood, and that would determine how I could act in t- in general. Yeah, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so it would be like within one second, I had to be like, okay, is this like mean mom? Is this crazy mom? Is this dismissive mom? Is this sweet mom? Like you know, mm-hmm. like and. So what I'm saying is, in my, like, sort of upbringing, I have uh, learned, and I mean, I I don't think this is unique to me. I don't even think it's unique to 
probably anyone. I think you know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Probably. Um, it's just like, I just remember that like that was a thing and it tied me really into being attuned to what people are thinking and feeling very quickly. Right. Uh-huh. Um, because like for me, at least there was no other place to go. It was just me and my mom in this apartment, right. you know? So it's like, if she, if she was fucking pissed, I had to know right away. Cause it wasn't like I could like go sit with my dad and be like, hey, mom's really being a bitch. Uh-huh. You know, like uh-huh. a, <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't an option. So, um, so what I guess what I'm saying is there is like a sort of like cosmic currency that, that exists between people. If you like really like hone in on that kind of thing. I don't know how much I could say that me and Chris writing this first two songs for Skeleton Coast from 3,000 miles away fits into that sort of category. <laughs> but I have spent a lot of years looking at and thinking about and trying to decipher Chris's whole thing, you uh-huh. know, like over and over and over and over again. And, you know, there. If he hasn't been doing it this way, also that would be weird. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you totally. know, so, yeah. So there's 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 some sort of like temporal. Um, I don't know. Maybe it makes more sense. I think. Th- yeah, I it totally makes sense from within. Um, you know, sort of how we all, I think, can can relate to the experience of like say experiencing this particular time that we're in right now and having friends from all sorts of different places and kind of like knowing a little bit intuitively on, you know, where they're at, how you can reach them, what sort of graciousness you can give um, to just like let them know that you're thinking about them. And I think that the, that there's probably plenty of undercurrent in whatever, conversations you're having with chris around this time about i mean the time of these songs that you're writing i think that i think i think that's i think that's probably uh exactly good yeah it's very astute it's like yeah like that shit's coming up a little bit here uh and there even if it's just coming up and like i'm thinking this or like what you know, like you've been writing any songs? Nah, not really. And then it's like that, but that becomes a trigger to like write a song. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in like or or whatever. And it's like Chris and I don't do a ton of idle bullshitting. Uh, so there tends to be if we're communicating, it's either like here's a joke. Or like a situation that I know is going to make you shit your pants laughing mm-hmm. because it's so like it's this is our shit right here, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. it is. Or like, did you get the check I sent you? Or <laughs> or, or or like um or then or then like very like very business type of right. stuff. You know what I mean? Like and, and, and there's not a lot of like i i don't know man uh, i got, it, i don't think this is unique to me and chris i don't really call anybody and just go so how you doing yeah anymore like that's just like not a thing i don't i feel like that yeah i've noticed that level of that level of discourse is just i think it's antiquated uh-huh. um 
based a little bit on social media and like the connectedness of the world and a little bit on the cultural consciousness that um, exists as a result of social media, which is I don't give really too much of a fuck. I could be performative about this, but Mm -hmm. I'm also glibly self-aware that I'm being performative if I do this. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do? Am I going to be performative or not? You know, and like that's uh, that's what the American reality is. And like men in general, I mean, like I, I don't love this about any of us, but it's like. Emotion is like uh, hard to express in a way that doesn't seem, yeah, like anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so <laughs> uh, I feel you. As yeah. a result, as a result, it's like you know, I say like I don't really fucking talk to Chris about things that aren't like jokes or like business. Uh-huh. I don't really talk to anybody about shit that's not jokes or business. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, like, it it, it ain't like a thing between me and Chris. That's just a thing. Like, I mean, I don't even know what makes Neil laugh. So, Mm -hmm. like, he. (laughs) (laughs) We're not the just business with Neil. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Dude, there's this fucking guy who. He's like a. Latino, Latino, um, accident lawyer in LA Mm -hmm. and he looks exactly like Neil and it's so fucking funny. And, and, uh, and I, I mean, this was years ago at this point, but I just send him this fucking image because my friend Jenny had sent it to, to me and she's Mm -hmm. like, who does this look like to you? And I was like, Oh my God. And then <laughs> and I send it to Neil and there, and then, and then the reply is just a day later. It's like, why is this guy me? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause last week you said something about when someone tells you, you know who you look like and you always think, I look like that guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, totally. Yeah, I think I told you somebody told me I look like a young Artie Lang in a bar. No, yeah. that's as someone as someone who's been losing their hair since they were twenty two. Being told that you look like pretty much anybody can become very mean very quickly. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, yeah, I, um, I didn't love that. It wasn't great. <laughs> uh, I don't think you look like Artie Lang. I don't think if you tried to look like Artie Lang, you would look like Artie Lang. I mean, like, you could if you try hard enough. If I just, like, started pounding, like, Hostess chocolate pies and then, like, uh, snorted a bunch of glass so my nose was just, like, hanging off my face yeah. like a Ziploc bag, uh, I'd look at least, like... Theoretically, like I shave the like. mustache and just bring a <laughs> spritzer with you everywhere, so you got a good like upper lip sweat going constantly, and you'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah. I also have to say, I mean, like, um, I have to say, yeah, <laughs> obliged at this point to mention that I think Artie Lang is a really, really, really talented comedian. Um, I think he's funny, very funny, funny and um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. 
Um, and I believe you're not allowed to say that um, in this era without saying, and I hope he gets the help he needs. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? I think he has to say that too. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But I secretly don't mean that. Just that, like, I, I party and Artie is fine. Uh-huh. I don't care. Um, so Chris has talked a lot about, um, his sharpening in terms of lyrics, how much he's worked to really, um, hone his word economy. And it shows so much on this record. Um, I'm interested in hearing the Coyote Crown demo as everything in place, as far as words, it's exactly it's exactly the exactly the same. Like mm-hmm. it, like you, you could probably put a metronome to both of them. I bet they're. I mean, the the end. I think we came up with the idea of like just like doing the solo, and I remember that I was like, add another guitar, add another guitar. Mm-hmm. Add another guitar, like at that end yeah. part, you yeah. know. I mean, I think Chris, Chris had the had the vision of the whole thing, like, uh, but it was just like that's good, right? And I'm like, no, it needs to be more. Like that that was like, hey, I came in with uh, the idea for excess uh, somehow. It's <laughs> <laughs> my u- unique contribution to the band. Oh, uh, love uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um. You know, uh, but but yeah, that, I mean that song was fully fully formed when on on that first demo. What which was like probably two years. Yeah. Ago. What did you What did you take from it other than like liking the song? Because I know you talk about um, wanting to like just how Chris's songs are going to dictate the ones that you write. Do you remember specifically what about that song made you? kind of go oh oh okay yeah noted uh it's the, the last line of the song mm-hmm. um was a mood setter you know and it's like i think i, I think it's interesting they're like PTA and Coyote Crown being the first two songs that came back and forth, um, where like Coyote Crown is, you know, what's which is I wear a Coyote Crown, I watch the world burn down. Uh-huh. I like to me is evocative of some real like fucking Bart Simpson and that Lord of the Flies Island kind of shit, you know, like Yeah. Coyote skull in your head. Like that's and you know, flames licking your face, mm-hmm. like just sitting there, as like, and just like, well, you know, I'm fucking out here. Yeah, it reminds me of when I was talking to this black dude uh, uh, outside of a bar, and I was like, um, "Yo, Bernie Sanders, right?" And he's like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm not voting." And I was like. No, 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 but Bernie, he's like, no, 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 listen, my neighborhoods have been a fucking war zone forever. You think I give a fuck if yours become one too? And I was like, oh, wow. Um, yeah. 
I can't argue with that at all. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> and and uh, it, it was like one of those moments, like, you know, we talk all the time about how, like, certain things happen to me that just, like, fundamentally change yep. my entire point of view forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, like, very easily influenced like that. And that was one of those things. But that's kind of what Coyote Crown, the last lines, like, sound like to me. Yeah. Is like, you know, like, I'm watching the world burn. I'm already out of here wearing a fucking coyote skull on my head, man. What, what, what do you think? What, ooh, what are you going to fucking make my life worse? You know? Like, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I'm the one who's already got the hat. You're going to have to find your own. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? Um, Not my fault. I, and, I dipped uh, out earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like... And then PTA being such a song of sadness and ending and resignation on a personal level, uh-huh. you, you know, and those being the first two songs really, um, set the tone, I think, for what was going to come through, like come down the middle. Right. If, yeah. that, if, those, if you think of those as like, like the, the two, the two fence posts, between which we'd build a fence, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, one is a very introspective, uh, very isolating song. And the other one is about almost longing for isolation. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or I guess you could say that they're both about both of those things. Right. Um, you know, just from a very different perspective. So those two songs set the mood for sure. And then from there, I think it was like, they were so far apart while still having this connective tissue Mm -hmm. that it became very easy to populate the characters who would, um, for lack of a less like Broadway director way of saying this, um, end up living on this skeleton coast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'd like to talk about the characters, but I, I'd also like to sort of um, use PTA as a, a bit of a um, PSA for, um, for people. Um, Cause I get, I got a lot of questions and this isn't something that I, that I think I'm not, I'm not trying to scold anybody here but i think it's probably helpful for you and i to talk about it a little bit um you write songs and your songs come from a creative place in your head the misery that you portray on this and the i had a lot of people asking me dude is brendan doing okay on this record and i'm like i'm like yo i get it i i see the same words but this is a creative person who's leaning into some part of his existence and you gotta make it a little bit uh more magnified if the song's gonna work i think that's true i also think that there's um there's a clarity and self-awareness, um, you know, that I think is something that, uh, like, I don't go to therapy, um, 
which, you know, everybody could probably benefit from going to therapy, but, um, I, I don't, so I don't want to talk out of school about that whole thing, but I think a lot of it has to do with getting to those points where you go like, I'm drunk. I'm ugly. I'm worse than you think that I am. I have to admit that to myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, you know, and like, and like, uh, for me, this kind of art, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that says like art is my therapy or whatever, but I think I'm not saying anything on here that's particularly, uh, unique to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like it, 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 what I'm saying is the things that need to be reckoned with here and there in, in your life that like, you know, like come up. It's like, I am miserable in this interpersonal situation. I am miserable in this isolated situation. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, and it's like, and I don't even think it's like about leaning into it so much as if it's about acknowledging that it exists because so many people refuse to. Mm-hmm. And so to even just admit, like, I mean, like, I think, I think that's like one of the, the, the demon song is like one of, that's the song I think that everybody is like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Right. Um, but like, and, and I think that might be like the fucking line on that, you know, it's like, I'm drunk, I'm ugly, I'm worse than you think that I mm-hmm. am. None of that's particularly self-flagellating. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's really mm-hmm. not. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like just a, vi- a fucking grocery list. Yeah. Like it, it's it's not like it's not like I'm a fucking total piece of shit pig, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's, it's not like that at all. But it's like I think so many people so many people i don't want to over categorize anybody but like i think that there is a mental exercise that people do which is to compartmentalize their unhappiness in such a way that they never have a grocery list of things that are just basic fundamental flaws and when it does come out it's like i'm so fat but you're already eating like a whole thing of like Mm -hmm. ho-hos while you're saying this you know and it's just like this punishment thing this self-flagellation that's not really what this is you know i am just like it's just an acknowledgement of humanity and the humanity that i exist inside of you know and and like um so in a way, I would say the question, am I okay, is more representative of the fact that people don't look at themselves mm-hmm. very much. Um, like, um, not, not, and, and I don't mean that in terms of like, so not only am I okay, <laughs> folks, I'm great. Like, that's not, that's not at all what I'm saying. But like, I think it's just, it's just odd that like in, in a time where it's like, like you know there's that that tweet recently it was like 2000 don't use your real name on the internet 2010 i guess i'll use my real name on my twitter account 2020 so i didn't post my daily butthole pic yesterday i'll post it on mm-hmm. tomorrow you know mm-hmm. um like 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 the 
the amount of like openness that's out there and everything. I mean, I we've used the word performative quite a bit on this podcast We're lately, talking but to a performer. Um, like, but like, there is a certain performative aspect of self-flagellation or like uh, self-expose, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, that's um, that's you know present on the internet and everything like that, but. Yeah, when when yeah, when shit gets real, people are like, "Oh, you're in deep in deep trouble." It's like, no, I'm not housing a box of ho ho saying I'm mm-hmm. fat, like in like a fucking suicidal spiral. I'm taking stock of a much larger existence, just like as more of a realist. Yeah, and I think that like as I've grown, I've found that expressions like you know, I am a demon. That's a really good way to characterize something about yourself that you're like not feeling great about. And it 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 empowers you to, you know, understand it in terms that aren't just like inherent self problems. It's like, no, this is this is a a thing that acts in this way or it has this name and that means it's something that's not just my problem. It's a thing that it that that exists in the in the ether and that we understand in these ways because they've always existed. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, like the demon song is very much a partner to PTA, uh-huh. right? In terms of almost like the explanation of the first one, if the first one sounds like heartbroken or scorned or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, which I don't uh, heartbroken. Yeah. Maybe scorned, maybe not so much, but I think the demon is like sort of structurally similar in, in an attempt to be like almost like PTA is the song where it ends with you waking up somewhere else from your like from mm-hmm. your love or whatever the demon is that morning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um when you were when you were writing songs for this record, I I feel like this has such a logical um you know, it's it serves as a logical follow up to the characterization you had on a lot of the Metropole songs, where you're, um, I feel like on Metropole you were kind of on the like, the, you were on the brink of like, oh, it's it's like I'm getting old, and then a lot of the songs on Skeleton Coast six years later it's just like oh haven't really done a very good job of of not letting it become uh oh heightenedly worse um did you did you think about it in in terms like that or were you like trying to um you know maybe like react or like stay away from doing too much of what you did on metropole no, um, it was, these were just the songs for now. Um, like it wasn't, I, 
De- Metropole is the last fucking thing on my mind when if I'm writing mm-hmm. a new record. You know what I mean? Like that the uh, this is all about fucking Skeleton Coast record in terms of like where my brain has to be. Um, like I just have to, you know, you know, and I don't even know. Like I don't. I think it's. I think it would be really disingenuous of me to like put down like a fucking list of things. I could say stuff. I could say stuff. I could be like, you know, I've got to take stock of like where I'm at and how I feel and what emotions am I like looking to. To but it's not like that. It's not a real thing. That's not how I operate or write songs. What the what, what I do is I sit down and I write a fucking page of lyrics every morning. And then I take a shower and then I write another page of lyrics and then I get out my guitar and I see if those lyrics fit to guitar parts. And the more and more I do that, the more the lyrics start to streamline into whatever is going Mm -hmm. on in my head that I can't articulate myself. The more I hear Chris's songs, the more he hears mine, the more that like third invisible eye between us starts to streamline those things into the cohesive thing that becomes the record but it's never like i mean like i've i've been watching chris and i do interviews trying to get to what skeleton coast is about because people are like it's obviously a thematic record what's the theme here what did you guys discuss and it's like i've seen him like say this and then i'll say something like this and then like the next time i hear you know, and, and what I say is based like kind uh-huh. of on what he says. And then the next time he hears he's doing an interview, it's like based a little more on like what I said, like in response to him. And we finally like narrowed it down. But I think it took us like reading each other's interviews to even get to the point where it was like, oh, yeah, it's about an outpost at the end of the world where there's like a fucking cast of very bizarre characters um, all trying to find happiness uh-huh. wherever they can. And like, um, you know, it's and it's just like there, there, it, there, there's it's the 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 fucking it's the the vase between the two faces. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, the, the illusion. You know, that's a vase. <laughs> sure <did>. Vase. <laughs> I don't know why I would never say vase uh, like about like an actual like vase like sitting on my counter, but for some reason between the two faces that is a vase, right? Like it, it just seems a little more like. Just so y'all know out there, Brendan goes to lots of dinner parties and he says vase all the time when he's complimenting the host. Right. Oh, that's a very interesting vase. Like, is that a? Is that a? Replicant Ming vase. So, <laughs> oh, dude. Um, I, I, I have to say, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. This is come on. on it's um, last night. I got a very nice text message from an artist who I greatly admire, uh, who is uh, Max Bemis, mm. um, um, from mm. Say Anything. And, and uh his <laughs> it was like God, I gotta I gotta I gotta find it because oh, it was good. so funny. Um um he uh cause he was 
so Max Bemis in it that it was like almost like it, it, it like fucking a. Where are you? Oh, here we go. Um, you know, I, I said something like that. That you know, he he said like I'm li- listening to your band on date night. Congratulations, yeah, something like that. And I said, and and um, he said, dude, thank you. That means equally a lot. Knowing me, it meant a lot. That it meant a lot to me. There's a lot of meaning, a lot of it. <laughs> and I wrote, "You're really killing the Voight Conf test of actually being Max Bemis with this reply." <laughs> it's like that thing that's so self-aware that it's like. Uh-huh. I'm aware that I'm saying this, and now I'm saying it too much, but I'm going to say it again because I'm saying it again. You know, like, I, I, <laughs> but you don't know what camp is the test that they give to uh, the replicants in Blade Runner to make sure it's just, well, to, to any sentient being in Blade Runner to see if they're humans or replicants. And um, Max Bemis is definitely Max Bemis. That's all I'm saying. And Harrison Ford <laughs> is definitely Harrison Ford in that movie. Am I right? Um, so let's, we are, we're walking, um, a line here with doing this podcast where we want to make sure that we're not, we're not unpacking everything right away. We want everybody to also, um, and when I say we, I, I mean, I, you and I haven't discussed this, but I don't want to go in and unpack every uh, reference in this record right away. I want to let all of that shit build naturally for everybody. Um, we do have some characters here, and it's very intriguing to me, um, yeah. the development of those characters and, uh, you know, anything. I have a list. So I have a list somewhere. Amazing. Um, I'm supposed to send them. I, I think we maybe want to do tarot cards. That's a f- really good idea. Um, so, um, yeah, I have, I have the list. But you want to hear it? What, am I supposed to be talking right um, now? Yeah, why don't you? Why don't we go? Why don't we go through that list a little bit? Well, the first, the first uh, characters on the list is some horsemen. We we're not. <laughs> it is not clear how many. <laughs> um, but. That's 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 how they come. It's like it's some horsemen, which I love from a poetic standpoint so much more than four horsemen. It's so good because it's like you know because like that's the thing. Let's 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 give fucking Moses the benefit of the doubt and say that like. A, <laughs> First shit in the Bible's real, right? Or uh-huh. I mean, I guess Revelation is it, discredited even by biblical scholars, right? It's only like Alex Jones is the only person that believes in Revelation, uh-huh. right? But if that shit's actually gonna happen, it's just like, yo, 
Some horsemen are coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wouldn't be like, it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It'd be like, yo, some horsemen. (laughs) Kind of like how there's just like some like secret federal police in our city right now. Just like 150 of them. Like, I don't know. That's what they say. Yeah. So there's 150 secret pigs in Chicago right now. Uh, hopefully these horsemen can. But so, yeah, that's from um, <laughs> Quiet Storm, obviously. <laughs> what's, what's happening? Well, there? I just find it so funny that it's some horsemen and then the actual like unpacking of. Yeah, that that's probably a better way to consider the uh, the whole concept. Because if there are five horsemen coming, um, I don't think I'm going to be trusting the people who are saying, no, 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 they only said four. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like five horsemen doesn't make it better. <laughs> it makes it much worse. Uh, it's another guy. Uh, <laughs> be not alarmed. You know? They said it was four. This is the true test. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, just, yeah. Um, those are here. They're the two doomed lovers of PTA, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the bleachbone kids of uh, Belly of the Whale, who, you know, strike me as very pale, even though they're living on the beach, playing among the bones, mm-hmm. just like the they're they're the cool kids, the the ones that when you're not getting covered in football, go, buddy, I'll try. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, that's so cute. <laughs> um, but I like I like them. I think that there's a fascinating subtext to those children that grew up in in desolation. That the narrator of that song is uh, intimidated by, right? Um, yeah. What is it? Do you think? Is it that they've like got <laughs> something figured out that he doesn't? Yeah, it's just like being a fucking outsider in, in any situation is hard, no matter what the situation is. Like, like you mm-hmm. could, dude, you could go to a trailer park where everybody's like gangbanging their own aunt, and and <laughs> like, if that was the situation you needed to survive in. And they didn't like you. You'd feel like a loser, no matter what the fuck yeah. they're doing, and you know, and how much it could like re- revolt your personal sense of uh, dignity and or um, you know morality. Uh huh. It's like if that's a situation you have to live in, you're like, ah, oh, man, I wish these fucking ant gangbangers would like me <laughs> you know <laughs> like, like like that will become a reality at a certain point yeah you know? totally i hate all um, of these people i'm so lonely since they don't like me what do I do? yeah yeah i mean like it's i mean you know it's like uh we're mammals like we want to be like we need affection mm-hmm. to survive it, it really is it's true. Yeah. Um, who knows? The guy who uh the, the guy who lives in a whale. Yeah. Uh 
that that guy's on on the record, obviously. Um, <laughs> and then the the whale, yeah. Um, and then there's the trench coat clad spy of um. Dead man's coat. Dead man's coat. Yeah. Yo, that song is so fucking cool. I'm so intrigued by it. It's got. I mean, I I don't know if I like overdo it with like going to Delillo references with Chris just because he had fucking one Mao too. But like, man, the second half of that song is like so white noise to me. Dude, white noise. I've I've been rereading right now, and oh, for real, it's fascinating because the airborne toxic event and the like impending death is obviously something that's like very very relevant right now. Right, like there's an airborne. I can't believe that shit is actually airborne. Yeah, like and and <laughs> and. All these people talking about like the potential of dying. I mean, this the whole book is kind of about a little bit, right? Is like the death, mm-hmm. um, the death fear, the death cult, really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But then I was like reading it, and there was a certain point where I was like, could this dude bitch about more unimportant things, please? Like, this entire book is just like, oh, the fucking lawn's the right height. Like, I don't like this flavor of seltzer. Um, You know, the grocery store is too loud. My friend Murray, he's got a terrible little shack of an apartment, and I hate going there because it's gross. My wife's got you know, floppy tits or whatever. And and then, dude, I realized <laughs> the book is called White Noise and he's a professor <laughs> of Hitler's studies. The whole thing is not even about the airborne toxic event. It's about white people being obnoxious and horrible. That's what yep. the book is about. And having to obsess about death because you don't have to obsess about dying. It like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, if there's nobody fucking potentially shooting at you, then you get to sit and fear the existential idea of death. Yeah. You know, like, and it's like, I don't know. Either it's the most tone deaf book I've ever read in my life, or it is the most unbelievably advanced take on white privilege that. I think has been put out there uh, that I've seen at least um, in terms of like when it came out. Yeah. I mean, it is a book that was written in 1985 or whatever by a white dude, uh, a white fiction writer, not too much uh, thought I think was put into any other uh, experience other than the white one. I don't, but, I don't. I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, it's like it. It's like there. There's like so much like subtle nuance in there that does imply that it's like this is being seen through a lens. I mean, I mean, Hitler is yeah. a prominent figure in that book. Yeah, 
You know, so is Elvis. Yeah, I mean, just stole from black people. Uh huh. It's. I'm not sure. It's not very, very. I mean, I know it's a very smart book. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure it's not a very smart book that actually is smart by 2020 standards. Like, yeah. I think I think that it plays into something that like is um, it's it's like suddenly like, no, you can't just have like a fascination with Hitler like you probably shouldn't have that. But it felt like a more benign interest. And now it's just like, oh, this is like not even like a good study to have. Yeah. But I mean, it is because you 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 want to learn from it. But like, there is a fascination that I think on on his part that is it's really it's really removed from the actualities. And I think it never would approach the actualities because it's like, how do you think about six million people dying? Like you, you can't you, you can't think about that in a like per, like on a person to person level right. your mind fucking explodes well he doesn't even go to he doesn't speak german it's the ultimate like white guy version of like being a hitler studies guy he's just like no, mm-hmm. no, no i don't even speak german yeah the whole yeah. the whole i i mean i i, I don't know read it again it, like i i just, i was like ready to put it down because i was so revolted by like the sort of minutia of complaining um, yeah. that was going on and then at a certain point i was like Wait a second. The title of this book should explain this to me. Like, am I really so stupid that I didn't get this? Um, And I don't know, man. It's turned me around. But anyway, we're not. We're 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 talking uh we're we're talking dead man's code here not not Don DeLillo look at us wrapping here wrapping away like it's eight forty eight thirty five uh, you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah um how about um we won't put this in how about let's do the um, like characters from the rest of the side A and then we can leave the characters from side B for next week and then Girl, are you frozen, are you frozen? Oh, you're really frozen. So far as I'm going to text you. There you are. Oh, hey. <laughs> Were you just going, hey, you're frozen to me? Because that's what I was just saying to you. I said it I said it once, and then I said, hmm, I got my answer. How about we do, like, the characters from the rest of side A, and then we can cut for next week. Um, I think it was pretty clear that we went in with a, like, sort of loose mm-hmm. plan, um, but we got to talk about cool stuff. So, yeah, yeah. You want to do that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Cool. So, um, yeah, now I get to... Now I get to think about reading White Noise for the seventh time because I didn't catch that either. And, uh, yeah, what does that say about me? Um, <laughs> so, w- Pigeons and Spies. Well, yeah, when yeah. you got the, the spy up amongst uh, the pigeons, right? Like, you kind of yeah. figure, like, there's a guy, like, up on a roof, like, looking down, and, like, there's, like, a pigeon right there, and it's like, hey... 
dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 up here amongst the pigeons, right? Like, um, yeah. And then um, the bombers and the moms, right? Which I feel like are drone drone operators and yeah. like uh, sort of uh, mothers. Uh, whose children are having bombs dropped upon them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, just in terms of that that conversation, um, yeah. Like that's sort of what that's just supposed to be about. Like, I mean, well, this whole song's like got a whole a lot of people reaching out to you about this one. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a big one that people have. Um, latch on to which is weird because I didn't even know if it sounded like enough of a song to put on the record to even bring to Chris and Neil um, I was just mm-hmm. like it's it's very odd like I don't know I didn't know that it held together like with the way the parts worked and stuff like that I obviously um, you know with the, with the help of those guys and everything it came together really nicely and People like it, but it's also very like naked. This one and the, the lyrics are so esoteric. I think that like uh, uh, there, there's a big part of me that was like, this is just a lot of weird fucking fluff going on here. Like there's there's a lot of weirdness happening up, mm-hmm. up in this bitch, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, um. It's weird, though, because I think it's such a direct song. It's like these are like definitely metaphors that you're using, but it's really clear what is represented in them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's good. I hope so. I mean, like, uh, like, I think I think the entire thing of the song is, I mean, I don't know if this is the where we're going to go into this kind of stuff, but like. It's just the distance that exists in any fucking relationship, right? Like, Uh you know, you're talking about, like, the pigeons and the spies are, like, looking down at people who are far away, going about their lives. And it's just, like, all you and I have in common is that we're both up here not doing that. You know? Like, um, Like, fucking... Or like, you know, the the dinosaurs versus the fucking Earth, where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, what we have in common is something uh, hit me and killed you, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, totally, you know, like we both felt an ancillary pain, um, you know, and then like, uh, obviously the, um. I, I guess, like, sort of, like, the with the bombers and the moms are, like, just both, like, drawn into a necessary, like, field of, like, death chest that they don't want to be fucking involved right. with necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and that, like, and, and that when actual people die, it's either, like, a fucking high five from, like, some room in, you know, Michigan where, like, two drone pilots are like trying to kill people or it's like all these fucking mothers crying because those are their sons uh, mm-hmm. who are dead you know 
in, in mm-hmm. the desert far away or whatever. And then obviously the whole fucking the locker room queer part, which is like sort of like the apex of this whole thing, which is like, um, you know, when somebody insults you, it's never about you. It's always about them, like 100% of the time. And it's like yeah. a piece of advice that I think is, it seems very obvious, but it's something that's, it's really hard to understand in the moment. And it's, and it's, it's, it's really true. It's like, if somebody's like, you're ugly, what that means is like, I'm hyper obsessed with appearances and I am terrified that somebody would find me to be unattractive and Mm -hmm. like i'm standing like a drowning person will stand on your body in order to get air you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah and and, um and that's the same thing you're ugly it's i'm standing on your body to get air um Mm -hmm. you know and and um so that i mean that's sort of what this part's about like that you're the locker room i'm the queer it's like that's just about self hatred, right? And self yeah. flagellation and like how do you survive hating yourself? Is it by getting your ass kicked? Is it by kicking someone's ass? You know, yeah. and, and the whole fucking thing is just fucking exhausting. <laughs> that's what the course totally. is. About. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? Um so yeah, I mean I know like we weren't gonna like go through I don't pack any of the songs, but that one uh, we did, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, that was, I think that line, you are the locker room and I'm the queer, it it hit so fucking hard. And, and I say this as, as a straight person, um, just because, like, I think any anybody who's, you know, not the doing the beating has been in that situation of being the queer, whether it's like implied uh, that you are not straight or it's just the fact that you're weird. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of be like, you know, it's like, I fucking was a little kid in the eighties. Right. And like, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that sort of like casual homophobia that like people my age like throw into like, well, I just mean it's lame or whatever, you know, which is like, it's despicable and it's not, it's not what I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. But um, like the, 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 the shorthand is okay. Whether I am like, whatever my thing is, that you don't like about me, um, you know, whether it's um, it's a fucking choice of gender pronoun or whether it's the color of my skin or whether it's that I, like, come from the fucking wrong side of the tracks or whether that's, like, you know, whatever the fuck it is, mm-hmm. it's, like, ish, I... I wish I wasn't me stuck in this locker room with you right now. That's what, that's really what I wish, you know? And like, and like, it's like, you know, it's kind of just like, I get it. Yeah. No, I'm, 
I'm the queer, just beat my ass. Okay, I know you you don't like this any more than me for some reason. We're doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, And and I mean, it's not to, at the same time, downplay, like, the very real, like, problems that, like – queer identifying people do face in these various situations, which is sort of why it became, um, the word is just, um, I thought it was the most powerful word that could be used there as a self identifier, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, and like, I, I I think the intentionality shines through and that it wouldn't be offensive. And and like, I just, you know, and I I don't know. I feel like this is a good thing to ask and uh, not um, just because just because of what you just said about thinking about the intentionality and um, and all that. So I, I I'm asking this question as as someone who I think I I think that you did use that term very powerfully. Um, were you worried about using it like how it could be? Because I mean, that is something that. You know, I, people are thinking about a lot now. Were you? Yeah, no, no. Um, you know, it's a great question, and I would say that if anybody has a problem with this, then that's somebody that like I fundamentally think should probably go get fucked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I like like the. I, I think the intentionality is so obviously in the right place. I, I so if by. Is because I don't personally identify as queer. I have to elide the idea of queer existence out of my entire fucking breadth of conversation, understanding, and comprehension, and artistic expression. That seems to me like a fucking bullshit tenant that I want no part of. So, like, you know what? I I hope it th- I I hope somebody is pissed off about this, so I can figure out who to just not talk to anymore. Uh, <laughs> because, like, I tell you who it's not gonna piss off. Anyone that's ever been in a locker room and had the shit beat out of them, they're going to be like, I know this exact moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and like, it, it, like, it, it, I mean, this is the part that I get the fucking so many like emails and tweets about where it's just like, yes, this is the, the vibe, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. it, I, I feel like it's about creating a universality out of something that's like, in, tended to be a marginalizing thing mm-hmm. you know and and uh and yeah like i don't know that we have made a lot of progress in terms of figuring out what's like just not funny you mm-hmm. know like what's not what's not cool um there's a certain part where it's like like it's just too far it's it's um not to fucking say it again but it becomes performative outrage for the sake of being like saw you saw you said this do you understand how mad some people who identify like this would be and it's like but that's not you yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're just <laughs> you're just the cops. You're like mm-hmm. the fuck out of here with that. You know, like so. Yeah, I don't know. No, um, 
I suppose I was worried about this only in terms of how like emotional it kind of made me feel. To write. Yeah. You yeah. know, I felt like it was very naked. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that was what made it hard for me to kind of come forward with this song, I guess a little bit, but not the language. Just yeah. Like, so we'll we'll do um we'll do last last words and then we can uh curb the the character list for next week give us something to talk about but um who's who's in there on last last words right. other than and Holden last, Caulfield last words, it's just it's just Holden Caulfield and uh some sort of like uh well it's 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 Holden Caulfield um ask character coming to terms with not being famous, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're the star of your own movie when you're born, right? And, and like, for the first, like, you know, long time in your life, you're like, I mean, I, I don't know. If, you, if you're lucky enough to grow up to be a little white boy in America, I think, is... I, I, I will speak from that experience as that's how I grew up. Uh, mm-hmm. it, like, it was like, yeah, I'm going to be in the army. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be on the Broncos. You know, like what, whatever the fuck. Like, With Denver re- Broncos. Well, <laughs> what, 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 what do you think? I'm not, I'm not good enough to be on the Steelers or something. Uh, but then, <laughs> fucking, um, but, the, but like, it just, um, you you see all of this inevitable world fame that you're going to encounter. And then at a certain point you go, I'm like, I'm 35. I am not going to be famous at all. Uh, you know, like, I, in fact, I will be doing none of those things. Yeah. I, I actually still work at my dad's carpet cleaning place, uh, you know, and then that's the rest of your life. And, you know, and I think the, the idea of this song, um, I pitched an idea of, for the video of Hennessy going into a museum and seeing pictures of him like on the walls, but it was like American Gothic, but both people were Neil's face. Uh-huh. You know, and then like Van Gogh. Have have I already talked about this? Yeah, we talked about this last week, and now a lot of people are asking me, where's that Neil? Where's that Neil video? Uh, Well, the the video had to change quite a bit, and Uh um, it's coming out this week. It's, It's very, very different now, but... But like, but the idea was like, you know, like hang me in the halls of obscurity behind Uh a velvet rope in a distant gallery. Like, um, I I can't speak for Chris's intentionality at all, but this is a guy who's just like, yeah, just like, I I don't know. It's the the whole thing is funny. There's such a, like, I, I, I'm, I'm like taking this apart as a fan as much as anything. Um, yeah. Like still thinks he's going to be in a museum and he's still like dressed to kill for nothing. You yeah. know what I mean? There's still like a sense of like fucking weird entitlement that's going on there. Even though it's like with resignation, mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, I'm a hundred percent sure 
I see Chris's sense of humor in this song. Mm-hmm. So I know it's like there's like a tongue-in-cheek aspect to it. Um, but it is funny because it's like this character is so resigned and yet at the same time still putting on the tuxedo. You know? Like, <laughs> like, like just <laughs> It's like, yeah, you know what? Nobody gives a shit about me. But on the off chance they do start. I got to impress them. Yeah. Got to give them what they paid for. Yeah. (laughs) So this was was fun. And we'll kind of check back in uh, next week with, um, you know, more and more growth that comes from this record being out and people experiencing it and all that other good shit we're on patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich if you want to join the sandwich club if you want to be in club sandwich go on over there club sandwich heroes and hoagies um there's room for more it's seven bucks a month it's like the greatest thing ever um almost uh not not quite as good as at skeleton coast which everybody should buy but you know it's it's close right it's yeah, like, yeah but but i mean like almost better yeah for real though like the the conversations we've had over there we you know we talked to kyle canane we talked to brian fallon um talked to toby jag who runs red scare industries um dan andriano from the alkaline trio uh, Matt Allison, who recorded Skeleton Coast, uh, Tom May from the Menzingers. There's been like we've had some really great guests, and these are all people that, um, you know, are like my friends, and so it's a good opportunity. I think if you like that kind of shit, like I don't know, like if you if you listen to this, you must not hate hearing me talk. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's probably no way that you could both listen to this and hate hearing me talk because it's a lot of that. And I, and, I've noticed and, that I talk a little bit less on the Patreon too, as I interrupt you right now. Um, so if yeah, you, <laughs> that, that, is, that is true. So, so yeah, if you like hearing me talk and hate hearing Tim talk and want to hear what it's like for like me and the dude from the fucking Menzingers to cut it up about what it's like to have to survive in the world of COVID or whatever, or just, you know, to me and Brad Fallon uh, clandestinely make fun of artists. Um, it's really fun. It's um, it's a real it's a real cool thing to be part of, and it's got a good name. Yeah, fantastic name. You're pretty good at interviewing. Not as good as me, but that's okay because we've still got this, and we will be back next week with another edition. We look forward to it. We'll see you then. Thanks, brothers. Thanks, everybody.